This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Omniverse. Hey, this is Kat. And Jess. You know, Mother She Wrote is free to listen to, but it's not free to make. So please, consider supporting our work on Patreon. You'll get early ad-free episodes of this show and all the storytelling podcasts we create. Head to patreon.com forward slash omniverse media to chip in and join our community of world-saving wonderkind. Oh, and heads up, this episode contains discussion of a pandemic and death during a pandemic. Please use your best judgment when listening and take care of yourself. Love Love you. Dear Mom, sorry it took so long between letters. I'm trying to write every day, but things have been nonstop for Lloyd and I. How nonstop? Well, as I write you, the scenery is whizzing by. I estimate we're traveling at 201 kilometers per hour. We're on a train. <laughs> but not just any train. We're taking the Paradise Line. It's just like in the commercials, zipping across the countryside. And it wouldn't be running if it weren't for Lloyd and I. Back in Marysville, the railroad tracks were blocked by some massive boulders, stopping all the trains from running. No one's sure what caused the avalanche. On the radio, on the news, more and more reports are coming in about strange happenings all over the state and country. No one's saying aliens just yet, but people are seeing things they can't explain. (laughs) Lloyd and I aren't about to wait around for the invaders' next attack, but we couldn't get out of the valley without the train. So, we came up with a plan. I don't know, Lloyd. I I don't think we should sneak into Duncan's factory. That's, like, illegal. I know what I'm doing. My father's a Duncan engineer. It's like he always says. Great discoveries don't come from following the rules. Great. Let's ask him to do it. You're missing the point. I am? Everyone in town knows that Duncan's factory is making high-tech rockets for the military. And everyone in town works for Duncan. So no one is saying or doing anything. It's all classified. But I've got my hiding places. I've heard them whispering. It'd be child's play for the new missiles to target the boulders. Well, if it's child's play... Then I say, let's put that theory to the test. Shall we? (laughs) You just want to see a big explosion. Uh, a delightful byproduct of our community service. (laughs) There's an alien invasion happening and uh, the populace is unaware. The adults in power aren't taking responsibility. We're Earth's defense force, Ninten. You and I can do what they can't and won't. Okay, okay. That checks out. How do we get in? It was easier said than done, Mom. The aliens got into Duncan's factory. They scrambled some of the scientists' brains and they activated an army of robots. Ah! Eat back, butt butt! 
What? Whoa! Woo! Nice shot, Lloyd. Fortunately, the robots Duncan made weren't as tough as the ones the aliens were sending out. These were old. Some of them were half-built. Absolutely preposterous. Duncan has had robots this whole time? So much innovation held back by the military-industrial complex. That laser's pretty cool. Yes. This will come in handy. The factory was a maze, but eventually we found the rocket controls on the top floor. Lloyd's hands shook as he started plugging in the coordinates for the boulder. Lloyd, you sure you know what you're doing? Of course, it's just interfacing this machinery. It's elaborate, it's glorious. Um, hmm. Einstein, guide my calculations. Launch sequence engaged! Please hit the rock, 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 please hit the rock. Looks like the boy genius is as smart as he says he is. The rocks were blown apart, the tracks were clear, and the Paradise Express is running again. Hey, is that a ray gun? Hands off, kid. Can I see it? No, you can't see it. This is a sophisticated piece of robot-smashing technology. I want to blast my home with this smithereen. Hey, don't touch that. Get away. Pew, pew, pew. Where's your mother? Lloyd and I took the train to Reindeer, and we heard more stories about what's been going on out there. No one's heard from anyone in Spookane for a week. There's been a bunch of disappearances from all over, and there's a flu that's killing people. In Reindeer, the flu outbreak is really bad, and that town, it's kind of scary. There's a lot of really rich people, and a lot of really poor people, and a lot of crime. There's nothing weird happening there, not yet anyway, but it just feels really broken, with problems that are much bigger than Lloyd and I can solve. So, we decided to keep moving. <laughs> wow, the train just went through a mountain tunnel, and on the other side, everything is glistening and snow-covered. So, I bet you can guess where Lloyd and I are headed. Snowman. We don't know what to expect, but we do have a mission. At the Reindeer train station, an old woman gave us a hat that was accidentally left behind by a girl our age from Snowman. The name Anna was stitched into the hat band. It's a long way to go to return a hat, but we're headed that way anyhow, and I just have one of those feelings, you know? I just know that something good is gonna happen. So, for now, Lloyd and I are gonna relax a while and watch the world go by. Just, just as, as long, long as we're, we're together, together we'll, we'll be, be fine. Taking the paradise line. Welcome to Mother, She Wrote, a travelogue diary through the strangest, most thought-provoking, most heart-rending video games ever made. Mother, as it's called in Japan, and Earthbound, as it's called everywhere else. This is the story of the first game in that series, Earthbound Beginnings. I'm Jessica Mudd, and I've got two tickets to paradise. Won't you come with me? We've waited so long. 
and they weren't even that expensive. And I'm Kat Blackard, reminding you to gargle often, gargle proud, and gargle strong. If it's safe to do so, take this podcast in the bathroom with you right now and get gargling for your health. Get gargling? What's that all about? <laughs> uh, well, that may be a part of the game that, uh, by sheer coincidence, you have not experienced yet, but something we'll get into. I think, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if I did the, any gargling on this uh, this particular part piece of the adventure. Um, I'm very curious to hear what that's all about. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hold on, though. Before you gargle too much, let's check out the latest news in the Mother's Day Times. Uh, there's, quite frankly, there's no, no such thing as gargling too much. I'll take your word for it. The big news from the world of Earthbound is that on July 27th, just several days from this episode's release, the annual Mother Direct is kicking off. Mother Direct is a YouTube presentation that highlights projects related to the Mother series, both fan creations like translations or documentaries, and work inspired by the series. For instance, there's a whole genre of game now called Mother Likes that build upon and expand the themes, gameplay, and general feeling of Earthbound. We are excited to share that Mother She Wrote is a part of this year's Direct, and we'll be presenting a live-action version of our podcast trailer for our part of the presentation. We're super excited to share it with you. So mark your calendars. Or check it out now, depending on when you're hearing this. Mother Direct is put together by the wonderful folks at Mother Forever, the current epicenter of the Earthbound fan community. You can watch the 2023 Mother Direct when it debuts live on their YouTube channel on July 27th at 3 p.m. Pacific, or, of course, anytime after. Just head to motherforever.net. That's mother, the number four, and ever, dot net. After the last episode, BioZilla reached out to us on the Omniverse Discord with some additional facts about Marysville. You'll remember we were really confused about the little kid at Twinkle Elementary who asks if you ever played Super Mario Bros. 7. It turns out that's just a weird quirk of the English localization. They originally ask if you've ever played Dragon Quest IV. Right. Mother came out in the two-year interval between the third and fourth Dragon Quest games in Japan. Another cheeky Dragon Quest reference in Earthbound. Yeah. And in 1989, only one of them had made it to the U.S., renamed Dragon Warrior, so it's understandable that the localizers would change it. But why Mario 7? Who knows? BioZilla also shared that the Psycho Car from Mother appears as an enemy in the Smash Run mode of Super Smash Bros. for 3DS, renamed Devil Car, matching its Japanese name. Yeah, it's a super weird inclusion in the game that I'd totally forgotten about. Thanks, BioZilla. Remember, if you have any fun facts you'd like to share, or experiences about how these games impacted your life, or other mother memories, you can write in at dearmothersherote at gmail.com. You can also chat with us on the Omniverse Discord. You can find a link to it and to all the places you can reach out to us on our website, mothersherote.earth. We've also got full transcripts of each episode there, made possible thanks to the backing of our patrons. This has been the Mother's Day Times. We'll, we'll see you next time! So when you're heading up towards Duncan's factory, you're following a little path outside of Marysville. At one point, you stumble across a discarded employee's badge. And when you get to the factory, there is a guard dog that's sitting out in front. And the guard dog talks to you. And he says, are you an employee of this factory? Let me see your ID. And you show him the badge. And he says, oh, this badge is expired. You must have stolen it. And he starts barking and running around and then eventually attacks you.
the encyclopedia says that uh, a certain terrorist organization is said to have been involved in forgery of Duncan passes in order to gain entry to the factory. Forged passes beyond their expiration date are known to be on the ground from time to time. What I think is interesting is that the dog is talking to you and has apparently been trained to sniff out these expired badges. But because you're able to hear what the animals are thinking or what this animal is thinking, you understand like the dog like recognizes that the badge is expired. Yeah, it's possible that in this case, when you fight this totally normal dog battle, it's the same as any stray dog that you've been fighting thus so far. Whereas the ones that you fight when you're wandering around town are dogs who have succumbed to the extraterrestrial influence. This is actually a dog that is just doing his job and hasn't succumbed to the alien influence. It's possible. Yeah, I felt bad fighting that dog. He was just doing his job, but, um, you know, it's for the good of the planet. Yeah, I mean, what are you, you going to do, right? Yeah. Duncan's Factory. That place is amazing. <laughs> would you call it amazing? I don't I don't think anybody would call it amazing. No, it's not amazing. It's uh trying. It's like being inside an ant farm. There's weird levels incongruently, dead ends, you never know what you're headed towards. Now that said, it is actually one floor below ground and ten floors above. According to the Mother Encyclopedia, it was built in nineteen sixty-nine, but it was actually remodeled recently uh, in 1983, and that's the point at which Sweets Factory fell into disuse. And speaking of Sweets Factory, the visual aesthetic of Duncan's Factory mimics Sweets Little Factory almost perfectly. Like it's the exact same, you know, visual metal plates on the walls. There's some holes that are bricked up. Well, things are definitely not right in there. When it comes to Mother Encyclopedia, there's a big difference in how they're visually expressed. Sweets Factory looks like a rundown. Chain link fence, danger sign, kind of like much older uh, industrial factory. But the photographic images chosen for Duncan's factory is another thing altogether. The main image for it is a glistening glass building reflecting the sky itself with strange geometric angles and so forth. Now, this image is, in fact, the uh, Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, California, the epicenter the genesis point, if you will, for the megachurch movement in the United States. It's a surprisingly beautiful building, and it looks nothing like a church in any kind of traditional sense. Yeah, you shared an image of it with me, and as far as interesting-looking buildings go, this one is definitely up there. It doesn't really look like a church, and it certainly doesn't look like a factory, especially not a factory that was built in 1969. Yeah, I think this is conveying the idea of it being a more updated factory under the uh, the full-scale remodeling that the encyclopedia mentions. Yeah. It also goes on to say that with this full-scale remodeling, there are few who have accurate knowledge of just what in the world is being produced here. Really? Because it seems like everybody in town knows what's being produced there. Well, yeah, I mean, they do seem to know that rockets are being produced there. I think they might not know about the killer robots. Killer robots are being produced there? Well, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting little facet of, uh, of this whole thing. I mean, the history of the robots inside, well, they are actually old. But, you know, here they are in this recently remodeled factory. So it does beg questions about uh, what they're doing tromping along. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the enemies that exist in Duncan's factory. There's the fireball which doesn't appear to be like a robot, but I suppose could be interpreted to be that way. There's also Bomber, 
which is so cute. He's like a little bomb that just uh, walks around with a, you know, uh, with a face. And it's got little fins at the top uh, of his head that kind of looks like a beanie. There's the old robot and Scrapper and then Dr. Distordo. So I could see how this factory could be interpreted as also producing robots as well and not just something the aliens brought. The aliens are involved, but they are not alien robots. Specifically, it says that Old Robot and Scrapper were models made as a prototype during World War II, but it's been taken and resurrected by the aliens. The Scrappers are prototypes that aren't fully put together, and then the Old Robots are are complete. I think maybe the reason they say they were built during World War II, which of course seems like a little preposterous, is that they are aesthetically modeled after Robbie the Robot, as seen in Forbidden Planet, a 1956 sci-fi film. Yeah, that detail uh, did not escape me. I've actually got a little note here about it to, to ask you about that. So it's good to have that confirmed. It looks exactly like Robbie the Robot. Yeah, I mean, granted, I haven't heard anybody like from the production team say that, but I mean, that's what's going on as much as all the other aesthetic references that appear in these games. I see. If you, if you can recognize it, that is the point. And shout out to the old robot, because that is my most smashable enemy of this mm, part of the game. That's a good one. It's a nice pop culture swap that I can really get behind. Definitely. Now, Bomber, Bomber, I don't know. Bomber, they don't say where Bomber came from. But maybe, especially because Duncan has been working specifically on explosives, it's highly suspect that maybe Bomber is a more recent development in the Duncan line of uh, military-industrial complex robots, or Metal Gears, if you will. It could also just be a bomb that's been uh, you know, brought to life by the aliens. I suppose that's possible. But uh, with the cartoon imagery of these games, sometimes it can be really hard to figure out what's going on, especially with things like what you mentioned with the fireball, which is literally a ball of fire with a face and arms and legs. And I have no details on how to interpret that exactly, other than maybe this is just a sort of cartoon embodiment of someone's pyrokinesis. I don't know. It uses PK fire as an attack. Um, Beyond that, what it actually is, what it represents... Uh, would be the subject of rampant speculation on my part rather than anything that I could confirm. Yeah, I mean, it's also, I guess, we're in a bomb factory, so it could be an explosion that somehow got, you know, like anthropomorphized, the actual explosion itself, so. Hmm. Yeah, or like how I suggested last episode that when an inanimate object attacks you, that the face is more of a, like, suggestion rather than the reality of what the characters are experiencing. Sure. Now, Dr. Distordo is a kind of like hunchbacked, weird-faced uh, mad guy in a lab coat. Yeah, mad, 100% mad scientist. He even flies into a rage, which is an, a, an ability that boosts his offense. According to the encyclopedia, he makes his home in Duncan's factory and, as if possessed by something, goes on creating barbaric robots. Hmm. So since we're fighting a lot of those, we can assume that Dr. Distordo is a kind of... Uh, you know, personification of all of the science workers or let's say weak-minded science workers who were inhabiting Duncan's factory who have been manipulated by the extraterrestrial influence. Yeah, so in the factory, you have factory workers, you have inventors, uh, you know, robot technicians, and they are building and keeping up these robots that are attacking and protecting the place. Now, why are they doing that? We do not know. There is no explanation given. But it certainly would be in an extraterrestrial's uh, best interest to take anybody who's making potentially orbital rockets to take control of that instead of allowing the uh, local governments to have those. 
There's a lot of items for you to pick up, of course. Uh, some of the notable ones, I found another size stone, which was great. I also found a laser beam. And then I also found a bomb, which I went to check it, but accidentally dropped it. And I was really afraid for a second because I thought that maybe the bomb was what I was supposed to use to blow up the train tracks. Oh, no. And I was like, surely they wouldn't let me drop an item that was that critical to the game. And fortunately, they didn't. But still, it was kind of like a a moment of panic when I accidentally hit the drop button as opposed to the look button, which is right next to it. Unfortunately, you did drop a high quality item. Yeah, but you know. Easy come, easy blow. That's how it goes. (laughs) I suppose we should mention what some of these items do. I don't think we've mentioned the Psy Stone before. It's an item that lets you replenish your psychokinetic abilities, and it's a multi-use item. So you kind of, I guess the idea is you sort of like squeeze it and like like pulling energy from a crystal or something. Ninten gets a little bit of his uh, psychokinetic energy back. You know, I didn't even check that item, and I kind of just intrinsically knew that that's what it did. (laughs) Very few times, but sometimes. The game is intuitive. (laughs) some things just make sense yeah now the bomb and all of the let's say um mechanized weaponry items are is is a thing that only lloyd can use and it it attacks all enemies on screen at once and deals massive damage it's very very good for this part of the game yeah i ended up finding another bomb and used it against some enemies later on i kind of want to know what the super bomb does now Oh, yes, that the uh, mysterious teacher sells at the Twinkle Mm -hmm. Elementary School. Well, there's only one way to find out, but uh, (laughs) certainly everything there is a gamble. We keep teasing it, so we're going to have to do it eventually. At some point, you're going to have to pony up some money and buy his things. Yeah, and I'm going to go back and I'm (laughs) going to find Wally, the neighbor Wally, and I'm going to be like, here, I got you a present. (laughs) You're going to use a super bomb on the farmer. That's uh, very sporting of you. Yes. (laughs) I can't think of a better use for it than that. You also mentioned the laser beam. That is another weapon for Lloyd to use. It seems like you know, you'd think at first that, oh, well, that must be like equipable as a weapon that Lloyd can use conventionally. That's but, what I tried to do. Yeah. But no, it's, it's a weapon that, that you have to use as, an, as though you're using an item from battle every time. And it is a multi-use item, but will break eventually. Yeah, I haven't tried the laser yet because uh, I wasn't sure if that was a single use or not. But that's good to know that you can use it multiple times. Yeah, now it's just okay. In fact, if your Lloyd is leveled high enough, it'll actually be not great by comparison to what he is capable of. Fair enough. Everyone calls Lloyd a weakling, but if you've leveled him reasonably at this point in the game, he is not that bad, actually. Other than that, there was a whole lot of stat capsules that were around, so I collected as many of those as I could, including one room that had three gifts in it, and it had three different stat capsules in for three of the different stats. That was a nice find. Yeah. Did you give them all a Lloyd? Uh, yes, except for one of them, which, uh, is it like- Wisdom? Wisdom, yeah. Does wisdom, I'm I'm assuming that that has to do with your psionic powers, and since Lloyd doesn't have any, it seemed like it wasn't worth it to give it to him. That's what I did as well. Wisdom increases the chance of hitting with status ailments, both in the form of PSI abilities and also items like the flash dark. Oh, okay. Cool. The whole factory thing is weird to begin with, because like- Sweets Factory is kind of like this weird dry run for the more dangerous and much more complicated Duncans, and they're both very unconventional dungeons by video game comparison. I don't like them, actually. I think that they could have been more distinctly done and and better done, and uh, yeah, it's just a bit of a slog, really. Yeah. Um, By the time I got out of there, 
gosh, these little boys were very strong. Uh, <laughs> Ninten was at level 25 and Lloyd was at level 19. Amazing. And remember, Lloyd started at level one when we picked him up. Yep. He levels quickly when you're fighting those high-level enemies. Mm-hmm. At some point, Lloyd died in Duncan's factory and... You know, I'm using air quotes, dies, because they don't really die. They just kind of, like, become injured, go unconscious, and uh, and they get sent back to the hospital. They uh, still appear to be walking behind you, but now they're a transparent angel with wings yeah. and a halo, which is kind of interesting. Well, their spirits are with you wherever you go, though they may be separate from their bodies. Because when you get to the hospital and talk to the nurse, and they say, who are you here to see? And you select your party member, and they're like, oh, Lloyd was just brought in. Like, there's a weird out-of-body kind of ghost dad kind of energy there. Yes. <laughs> there is something of extreme note in Duncan's factory. Okay, let's hear it. For the only time in the entire Mother series, there is a second Franklin badge. What? Yeah. Oh, you have my attention. Go on. Well, it's just like everything else in Duncan's factory, buried in, in the farthest reaches, the deepest depths. Uh, mm -hmm. Good luck finding it without uh, a map from the internet, <laughs> but it's in there. And, you know, I suppose the best guess is that uh, maybe, just maybe, because they're working on a lot of things involving electricity, someone has reverse engineered the Franklin badge or perhaps even accidentally created a facsimile of what Benjamin Franklin invented as the Franklin badge. Well, apparently lightning does strike twice. <laughs> yeah, and just, just the once, because <laughs> this never happens again. It strikes twice just the once. <laughs> <laughs> as you're climbing up the floors of the factory eventually you come to a large room and at the end of it is a rocket that is sitting on a platform and when you go up and interact with it lloyd programs the rocket to aim for the train tracks where the boulders are blocking it and does a countdown, three, two, one, and you watch the rocket launch off and then just uh, nothing happens. You just assume everything went well. Yeah, the encyclopedia sort of unpacks that moment. It says, of course, like you, he's still young. His hands quiver at seeing such elaborate machinery for the first time. So only God knoweth where the rocket will end up. Hmm. But fortunately, it ends up at the right place. Yeah, well, I mean, he sets the coordinates. He, he seems to know what he's doing, so good for him. I was really expecting to have to fight some sort of like big boss enemy or something. They just let you walk right in there and just launch that rocket. Yeah, after all that preamble, it is it is rather strange, but that's kind of the nature of this game. It does not have the same pacing as other games like it. Once the boulder is cleared from the train tracks, you can walk through the little pass that's accessible now, and you walk north a little bit, and you come across Union Station, which is just a little train station that sits out there along the tracks. And inside, you can buy tickets to other cities, and there's also a couple of NPCs that are walking around. Now, Union Station is another thing that has had its name changed, actually. In Mother, it is called Santa Claus Station. Hmm. Santa Claus Station, not the North Pole. Yeah. Or not the not the uh, North Pole Station, but... Mm-mm. No, and, and then what you know what's interesting about it is that there, there's three destinations you can choose from to go to, two of which are also winter-themed, Reindeer and Snowman... And both of those town names stayed the same in both versions of the game for a change. Oh, my gosh. Of all the names that they decided to keep the same, it was those two. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, a town called Thanksgiving. Ah, no, that's, that's weird. A town named Reindeer. That's fine. <laughs> 
or snowman, like a town called Snowman. Uh huh. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Uh, very arbitrary. Very strange. Uh, the encyclopedia says, as you stand here at last before the train station, your adventure is about to get a whole lot bigger. The double track rail stretches away to the other side of the horizon, and there at its end, waiting for you, is a world you've never seen and a friend you've never met. I bet you'll recognize that the moment you've placed your foot on the train step, in the blink of an eye, you've become more grown up. It's the farthest away from home I've ever been. <laughs> And Union Station is home to the Paradise Express, a.k.a. the Paradise Line or the Paradise Special. It goes by all of these names in different places in different times, mostly to do with uh, the song Paradise Line, the music that plays when you get on board that train. Which is my memorable melody of this session. I really love the Paradise Line. Uh, I love the, the song from the album, and I love the rendition of it on the NES. It's, it's all very good. <laughs> That is also the song that I will remember this episode. It's a banger. And uh, another great example of Keiichi Suzuki and Hip Tanaka writing a pop song and transposing it into 8-bit and uh, making this game a very rad musical experience. Before we get to another city, I actually want to back up for a second because one of the NPCs that's in Union Station there has some dialogue and says, I heard on the radio that it's a mess everywhere. I will protect this station at all costs. Yeah. So that dude's dedicated to protecting Union Station, and, and I appreciate that because we need this place. Yeah. Hats off to that station agent. And also, I think that's a really important line. That's a moment in the game where you've crossed another threshold, and it implies as best as the game can that this problem is getting really, really big. And whereas you've seen varying scales of how out of hand things can get in a town, you're maybe going to see some things that are more. And who knows what else is happening everywhere else. Yeah, even beyond that. You mentioned that the train can take you to three different locations. And the tickets for Reindeer, Spookane, and Snowman are $16, $25, and $36, respectively. Now, what I'm Uh curious about is that survey that you take in Marysville, where the person asks you if you think that the train tickets are expensive. If you answer that and say that you do think the train tickets are too expensive, do they lower the price of the tickets? If that happens, I have never heard of it. I don't think so. But that's a very, I mean, (laughs) I love this game. This game has you thinking in really unusual ways because you can never tell what's going to happen. For sure. Well, it made me think. It's like, okay, so this person's conducting a survey and they ask you, do you think that the train tickets are too expensive? And then have you ever used the bullhorn? So it's like, are they asking you, are you a protester, somebody who's going to pitch a fit if the train tickets are too expensive? And if you're not the kind of person that's used a bullhorn or and you don't think that the train tickets are too expensive, then we can jack the price up. And given everything that they've done, all the commentary about capitalism and exploitation of the environment and corrupt politicians and everything, it would not surprise me if this game raised the prices on you for answering that survey the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I've never heard that, but that would be right on point. Yeah. <laughs> so before I bought one of those not too expensive tickets, I went out of the train station because I wanted to explore a little bit. I, I noticed on the world map that there's a little bit of space north of Union Station that looked like it was explorable. So I headed out. I went to the northeast just a little bit. 
And lo and behold, I came across a desert. Did you go to the desert, Kat? I did. I did the same thing. Uh, I was like, oh, where does this go? Huh? Like, I mean, and, you know, I've played this game before, but it's been a while. Uh, And then, yeah, found myself in the desert and then found myself in some terrifying battles that I almost didn't survive. Yeah, there's a lot of enemies there that will give you poison or like venom of of some kind uh, does recurring damage. There's a tarantula and also a scorpion. Yeah. Was it a scorpion or was or did you fight a a titanese? Uh, I did not fight a titanese. There's some conventional creatures out there and there's some other creatures out there like ultra barbots, for example. Yeah, there's ultra barbots. There is the Omega Saucer. And there's also my smashable enemy of this session, Nancy. Did you fight Nancy? No, I did not fight Nancy, but I know Nancy. I know her well. Nancy is a very intimidating looking purple robot with big shoulders that kind of slightly reminded me of Samus Aran. That similarity to Samus may be something a bit more universal because the design of Nancy and other, let's say, femme-shaped robots in this game, because there are others, are all derivative of the gynoid design from Fritz Lang's 1928 film Metropolis. Oh, also kind of looks like Bride of Pinbot. That is a, of course, a pinball mascot, I guess, uh, character yeah, on a pinball sure. on a pinball table. That is another of the many storied pieces of science fiction iconography that is derivative of Metropolis. This extends all the way to C-3PO. The aesthetics all over this film are massively, massively influential to the entirety of sci-fi, but none more so than the quote-unquote gynoid, the female robot. If you want to check out other pieces of media that are adjacent to Earthbound, I would highly, highly, highly suggest Metropolis. If you want the easy version, check out the Giorgio Moroder edition from the 1980s, which has a pop soundtrack to this silent film. Once you're super duper into that, go all in on the over three hour version. You won't be disappointed if you love the Moroder version. I didn't explore the desert too much. It did have some interesting music in it, which I thought was pretty cool. Very sort of like Western inspired jaunty tune type thing. Yeah. But I didn't spend a lot of time there because the enemies were scary. So what's happened here is the game has really opened up here. If you're leveled high enough, yeah, you can go out there. You can do whatever you want. You can go to all three of those towns. You can go anywhere. It is now an especially nonlinear game. One might even call, if they wanted to use a game design buzzword, they might even call it an open world game. Just be careful where you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And gosh, if I had encountered Nancy because because of my status as a Metropolis fangirl, uh, she definitely would have been my most smashable enemy. But alas, I'm glad to have made it out of the desert alive and kind of <laughs> glad that I didn't see Nancy for that specific reason. Yeah. Well, Lloyd didn't make it out alive, but that's neither here oh, nor no. there. Ghost Lloyd rode the train and we got to the next town. So the train's really cool. It kind of looks like a cat wearing sunglasses. <laughs> the sprite of the train? Yes. Kind of cat bus kind of energy. Okay. Yeah. Never I was thought get, of that. I was getting cat bus energy from the train. Nice. Nice. It was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> so when you arrive at Reindeer Station, you get off the train, you're immediately approached by a woman who asks you if you're going to Snowman. And if you say yes, then she says, I found this hat. I believe it's the property of a girl who lives there. Please take it to her. And then she walks away. Did you check the, uh, the hat by any chance? Uh, no, I did not, actually. I guess I probably should have. What does it say when you check it? There's a name embroidered on the lining inside. It's Anna. Oh, really? Okay. 
well, that makes sense. Guess we just got to take Anna her hat back to her. And she's like, okay, you're finally here. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. That could happen. Yeah, uh, could maybe. Be. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> Reindeer is an interesting place because it is very large. And also in the scope of the game is kind of optional. It's just a whole town that has a lot of stuff going on. There's plenty of reasons to be there, but there's not a plot reason. It's very just like physically large. There's a lot of farms that are outside sort of the main city area. And there's a few NPCs that are talking about an old man on the mountain. One of them says the old man on the mountain is so generous. He'll give you as much as you could possibly carry. Somebody else says... High in the mountains lives an old man. Legends say he hasn't had a cold in 300 years. And my response to that was, I think you buried the lead there a little bit. There's an old man who's 300 years old. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just legends say. I mean, who who knows? Who could say? I I take it you haven't uh, tracked down this old man. I guess not. Mm. I kind of went looking for him and found some other stuff, but I guess I haven't found the old man yet. I thought maybe he was on Mount Atoy and we wouldn't find him until later or something like that. This is a part of the game that is a full-blown side quest. It's not a big one, but it really does make you go out of your way uh, okay. to do something, and who knows why. <laughs> we, will, we will explore that momentarily as we work our way through the highs and lows of the very troubled town of Reindeer. There is a, a flu that's going around, apparently. Uh, and so I, I imagine that someone who hasn't had a cold in 300 years, uh, you know, maybe just because he lives by himself, but maybe there's something else going on there. Regardless, it seems like a lot of people are suffering from this flu. You mentioned the farms. Like, this is yeah. a very interesting piece of the game aesthetically because you walk from the train station through a rural region, through a bunch of cornfields and so forth. And Depending on how you go, like you can you can walk through the woods a little and find yourself in a residential section or you can head further south and find yourself in a bigger city. Reindeer's major industries are commerce and agriculture. And according to the encyclopedia, this was originally a wealthy, peaceful town where the elite, now retired from the job scene, could take it easy and live out their twilight years. But their wealth attracted scoundrels like thieves, dine and dashers and con men. Once you've left the high-end neighborhood after the station and taken your first step into a town overrun with crime, you're sure to smell in the air how intense the wealth disparity is. I figured there was something like that going on. One of the NPCs is a little girl that says, you thought I was going to beg for food, didn't you? I wouldn't do that even though I'm ever so hungry. Yeah, there's two characters that look aesthetically like, I suppose, a ragamuffin type. There's another one who says, give me something, whatever it is, just give it to me. Gimme, gimme, please give me. Why won't you give it to me? I said, please. You can give them literally anything. If you do give them something to show their gratitude, they give you a flea bag. Okay, so it doesn't change depending on what you give them. No. I gave them a magic herb and got the flea bag back, and I was like, okay, well, that seems pretty like for like exchange. <laughs> well, the flea bag can be a very useful in battle item that anyone yeah, can use. For sure. But they also say, I'm thinking of something nice to give you. Yeah, I guess their impression of something nice is uh, is a bag of fleas, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, that's not a good look for the game, sure. I suppose. But it also is uh, it's critical of the rich uh, as well. For example, there is someone who says, have you ever thrown food out into the field? Well, it's a game, but it's pretty wasteful. Mm. Just yeah. like, oh, yeah, we, we play a game where we <laughs> we throw perfectly good food into a field. 
There's also a woman that eats five pizzas and then runs away without paying. Yeah. You talk to a couple police officers that all have these stories about people who have done some kind of weird petty crime. And in all the cases, you can sort of bump into those people elsewhere in the town. Yeah, I ain't no rat. I wasn't turning anybody in. Did you happen to meet the man with the slick mustache? I did. He forced some money on me. Yeah, you get $420 from that guy. $420, huh? Yeah. Now it's your problem. I didn't know exactly how much it was, <laughs> but that's good to know. I, I don't know if that's a coded message, but I would like to think it is. Well, he asks you if you'll take the money from him, and if you say no, he says, just do what I tell you, and you hear the noise that play, the little sound effect that plays whenever you get an item. Yeah. And one of the cops, after he asks you, have you seen the man with the slick mustache? I lost track of him, and if you say no, he's like, oh, well, I'm going to go check for some traffic violations. Yeah, the cops are lazy. There's also somebody that says the store will buy good medicine for good money. <laughs> and I'm like, what about bad medicine for bad money? <laughs> In this town, probably. But mm-hmm. that medicine thing is another clue about the old man. Oh, really? Ooh, suspense. Mm. I'm building suspense. Good there is medicine. a cold in town, as you mentioned. I would say that we're dealing with a pandemic here because, as That's we'll find out, it's not just reindeer. It's also snowman. Really? Okay. There was somebody who was just outside the hospital that said, I heard someone died from a cold. Just a cold. And then inside the hospital, there is a man walking around that says, I don't have a cold. (coughs) I'm just talking to myself. (coughs) Yeah. And then another person says, this year's flu is so bad, I lost so much weight. So if anybody's got any kind of trauma from the pandemic, uh, this, <laughs> this, yeah. part, this, this part of the game is a little, little dicey. It's hitting a little too close to home here lately. <laughs> yeah, and, and talking to these people, uh, for the most part, will we'll give you colds in the game that need to be uh, yeah. remedied. I figured that out and went back to, <laughs> went to the doctor and was like, Jeremy. But he charged a lot more than the doctor at, in Marysville. But if only you'd found the old man. Hmm. <sighs> I know. I got to find the old man. He hasn't gotten a cold in 300 years, so he's got to teach me a secret. Before we venture outside of town and talk to this old man, let's hear from the other people around town because there are some absolutely wild and crazy things happening with the dialogue in this town that I love so much. So the neighborhood up in the upper left-hand side of the town that is singled out as being a residential area is specifically a wealthy neighborhood. But in this wealthy neighborhood, there's a man standing weirdly by the side of a house, facing away from you, like facing kind of towards the house. And he says, you startled me. For college credit, I study uh, indoor architecture. That's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. (laughs) So you've either found a person who's doing either one of two things. Either they are a criminal who is canvassing a wealthy home to steal from, or they are a voyeur. Uh, mm-hmm. either way, wow. <laughs> yeah, mm, it's not a good look, whichever way you go with that, but, uh... Or, or a good excuse, for that matter. I study, for college credit, I study indoor architecture. Don't talk to me, kid. Indoor architecture. What does that even mean? <laughs> don't know. One of my favorite things that somebody said in this town was, I love this town, I wouldn't be caught dead in Spokane. And then... Somebody else says, this place has become dangerous, but it's still a much better place than L.A., which is spelled E-L-L-A-Y. But I have to assume that that is meant to sound like you're saying 
L.A., the abbreviation for Los Angeles. Yes, except that that is just in the English version because L.A. is another one of the uh, name changes to the towns. But the intention is for it to be a parallel to Los Angeles per the translation. It's just, you know, it's making fun of Los Angeles, but in a really (laughs) weird, passive-aggressive way. Yeah. (laughs) And what you've stumbled onto here is a really cool component of this part of the game, which is it is a bigger world. You're hearing people talk about places that you haven't gone yet but are going to go to. Now your entire dynamic of how you're playing the game has changed. You need to take trains to get from one place to another or you'll be subject to, I mean, you could walk, but you might end up fighting dangerous enemies or uh, just walking for a really, really long time, which could be very annoying. So with all this traveling, like you're going to be staying at hotels a lot, which brings us to a piece of music that I think is quite important. There's a little few note long jingle, let's say, that plays when you have slept in a hotel. It sounds like, Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And that is consistent between this game and Earthbound. And there's a lot of conjecture that that is meant to be a musical reference to Good Morning by the Beatles, where the chorus is them saying good morning a bunch, but is good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh. Hmm. And uh, sonically, it's even more convincing when you hear it uh, with more tones in Earthbound. Hmm. Okay. We'll have to revisit that when we get to Earthbound. And speaking of being on the road, I finally used all of my magic herbs in my big bag. <laughs> did you find it useful? Well, I did find it useful. I mean, that's a bunch of it's okay. a bunch of free uh, health items that take up only one inventory space. I'd say it's very useful. Mm-hmm. When the big bag was emptied, it disappeared into thin air. Mm, okay, mysterious. Yeah. As you're walking around, there is a good-looking boy who says, oh, yeah, are you ready? All right. And if you say yes, he says, hey, want to hear my song? And if you say yes to that, the good-looking boy sang a quite unique song. Tom did not want to remember this strange melody. (laughs) (laughs) And it plays music for you. Yeah, it does. It's just a little ditty. Yeah, it's it's like the rock music that you've heard in the game so far, but it's a little slower. It's a little stranger. It's not bad. It doesn't Mm -hmm. sound discordant, but apparently it does not suit the the musical tastes of Ninten one bit. No, I just love how self-reflective that was. It was kind of poking fun at itself, you know, about how Ninten remembered that that melody. But now this time it's like, no, he doesn't want to remember this strange melody. (laughs) It was just really good. Hey, gamer, are you wandering around this entire world trying to find the melodies that you missed? Well, this isn't one of them. Try try again later. I'm sorry, Ninten, but your melody's in another castle. (laughs) Speaking of melodies, there's a, a woman in this town who says nothing. But if you use telepathy next to her, it says, Did you hear the dragon's lullaby? Ooh... That's curious. That's very curious. I don't think I ran into that NPC, but that's very, very interesting. And there's another weird little Magicant reference nearby. There's a man who's kind of like wandering around a little copse of trees. Yeah, this guy. Yeah. He says, I'm a man whose existence does not matter. My importance is so small that I may not be missed should I disappear. Yeah, that was uh, that definitely caught my attention, and of course that is seems to be referencing the Forgotten Man at the yeah. end of the uh, Magic Camp just before you 
exit and get back to the real world. It begs a lot of questions about the nature of Magicant and how people tap into it. At first, I was kind of thinking that it was like your great-grandmother Maria's sort of like dream fantasy world, but now I'm wondering if it's not much more of a collective experience for everybody in the world. Yeah, it's, it's certainly possible. Or if it is part of Maria's dream specifically, maybe it takes up so much space in the collective unconscious that people's own minds butt up against it. Yeah. A final piece of dialogue that I want to address that I teased actually in the last episode is a reference to Stand By Me uh, that was changed. In the English version, there's a character that says, I remember walking through the tunnel when I was young. I went to see what was on the other side. But it has been changed perhaps because of a very specific reference, maybe not because it was a pop culture reference. In Japanese, the person says, one time when I was little, I walked through the tunnel. I went to see a dead body. Mm. Yep, that's pretty much the plot of Stand By Me. <laughs> or the Stephen King short story that it's based on, The Body. Yeah. Stand By Me casts a massive shadow um, in Japan. In fact, it was even mentioned by the director of the beautiful live-action commercial for Mother uh, on Japanese television. There was a tagline for the game, which was Guaranteed Masterpiece. And in the Mother Encyclopedia, the director said, Guaranteed Masterpiece was to include the meaning, we don't mind one bit asking you to compare this game to masterpieces from other genres, like Dandelion Wine, or The NeverEnding Story, or Stand By Me. And I believe wow. that that's just about how far it's already come. This game was very self-aware about what it was trying to do and what it was trying to say. Yeah, and not just Detoei, but any collaborators or media personalities that got involved in the promotional push for it, they all seem to believe in it at that scale. There's also somebody who is standing inside of the hotel that says, Hi, Nintendo. I'm a little busy. I'll catch you later. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that guy's deal is. Nothing to expand on with that? Not that I remember. Why does Ninten know this guy? Why does this guy know Ninten? I have yeah. no clue. It's a little ominous, and I'm hoping that maybe I've just forgotten something cool that happens later, but I don't know. Yeah. The department store in uh, Reindeer has an interesting feature. At the top, there's an unmarked store that sells bombs, laser beams, and most importantly, plasma beams. Yeah, I saw that. It was an unnamed store, and I was like, ooh, what's this place got? And it's like, okay, lots of weapons. <laughs> yep. Perfect for weak of body but strong of mind, little boys, to blast things to pieces. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you know, do they need a license for that? I mean, why, why is this unmarked store up there? It just, yeah. <laughs> just kind of quirky, you know? Yeah, and if you haven't picked up a plasma beam, gosh, you should really pick up a plasma beam. It's okay. going to make a big difference. I'll do that next time. Before I went to Snowman to return the hat... I ventured out a little bit from Reindeer, and I headed west. I saw there was a sign that said that there was a healer uh, if you went further west. I found the healer in the healer's house, and it really wasn't that big of a deal. Just a old man that was inside who will heal some particular status ailments if you ask him to. But then I kept on going northward, and I found another house. And inside this house, there was two individuals. There was what looked like a younger man and an older man. And the younger man's like, I can't understand anything that this guy's saying. And if you go talk to the older man, it's just a lot of like mumbling, like, like that. But then if you use telepathy on him, he says, I can't speak very well without my dentures. <laughs> and so 
I started looking around for this dude's dentures uh, and I couldn't find them anywhere. But so I just, I left them for later, but I thought that was such a thing. Who's this person? Well, my stars and garters, Jess, you found the reclusive old sage. Okay. The old sage. All right. Yeah. That's the 300 year old guy you just talked to the brain. It is? Yeah. He wasn't on a mountain. Well, his house is on a hill. (laughs) A hill is not a mountain. The game is still impressionistic, and uh, his weird little chateau is, I guess, by or maybe the tails are just too tall, but uh, I guess that's a mountain. I don't know. Okay. Well, then I guess I did find the old man, old man at the top of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did say high in the mountains is specifically the, the piece of text, and that does not that is not what's happening there, but I that but that is the old man. If you walk outside the house uh, where he lives, you'll see to the left, there is a signpost at the bottom of the elevated piece of ground that the the house is on. And if you figure out how to walk your way around that little area and get to that signpost, the sign reads, now entering the mislay triangle, watch out. And then this note, someone lost his dentures right under the sign. Okay. So I guess you don't want to go into, what was it? The mislay triangle? Yeah, the mislay triangle, as in like it's a place where you mislay things. Okay. <laughs> like the Bermuda Triangle, but smaller yeah. and on the ground. Bermuda Triangle for items. Okay, so that's where you find the dentures then, I guess. Yep. Once you get those dentures back, well, he reveals himself to be the uh, the old sage and uh, and shares with you his secret recipe of the mouthwash that he has been developing all this time that is the secret to his longevity. And this is where my mother, she quote, comes in. He says, gargle often, gargle proud, gargle strong. And if you catch a cold, <laughs> gargling will help. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so, so good. I love that. <laughs> oh, gargle away. Everybody gargle. Gargle for your health. <laughs> so now he can talk again. His grandson can talk to him again. And something very interesting happens. There was that one person that said that weird thing about he'll give you as much as you can possibly carry. But the question yeah. is, of what? Mm-hmm. Well, he fills every spare item slot for every character in your party with mouthwash. <laughs> Which would be extraordinarily <laughs> annoying were it not for the fact that mouthwash retails for $175 and it resells for $87. Oh. So you can, you can fill up your whole inventory with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. He and his grandson are so grateful to you. His grandson will continue to sell you mouthwash, the special recipe of this old man, for $10 a pop instead of $175. So you can just make money. If you want to go to the money factory, that's where you go to get money. The money money factory for the mouthwash, okay. Toothpaste companies hate this one easy trick. (laughs) (laughs) It's important to note, you think, oh, well, well, what good is that? Um, What does mouthwash do? Mouthwash in this game, for reasons that I cannot tell you, I do not know, mouthwash cures the cold. I figured as as soon as the uh, old man who has never caught a cold in 300 years is giving you mouthwash, I figured that must be what it does. Yep. And <laughs> considering how many people are suffering from a flu right now, you need it. Yeah. You should start handing that out to everybody. Well, maybe they should have found that old man's dentures, huh? All right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you got to put in the work. <laughs> 
So Jess, when I asked you to play this section of the game, because it's wide open, I was trying to be as cryptic as possible. Next episode, we are going to go to Snowman. But you and I have both already been there. We won't talk about that part of the game yet. We'll do that next episode. But we will talk about one thing. There's only one phone to save from in Snowman. And should you happen to pick up the phone there, which is something that you don't have to do at all, a very strange thing happens. So dad starts talking to you. He says, this is your dad. Excuse me. I need to see the person playing this game. And you can say yes or no. And if you say yes, he says, hello there. I appreciate your kindness to Ninten. I'm the boy's dad. Could you please let me know your name? Thank you for your cooperation. And at that point, you have another text entry window that pops up and you can put in your name. And once you do that, he says, thank you for spending your time with me. I too have urgent things to do, so I better go now. Slam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Wow. How wild was that moment when <laughs> suddenly the game is addressing you directly? Are you one of Nintendo's friends that's along for the ride? This is so much like Neverending Story, where it's like the audience, we were there the whole time. We were with him when he helped the canaries. You were with him when he went to the magical dreamlands. You were with him when he tried to wake the dragon. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. This, uh, <laughs> I'm exploding. I'm spontaneously combusting from this one little moment of the game. <sighs> This was incredible. I cannot believe that they did this. Having this type of fourth wall breaking direct interaction with you as the player being addressed in this game. Yeah. Isn't it just? It won't be the last time that something like this happens in this series, but doing it here in 1989 is unprecedented. And the way that it's done, it's not just asking you for your name. Having this dad character that you've been sort of passively interacting with the whole time, talking to you and thanking you for taking care of his kid is very interesting, as is his tone. Thank you for your cooperation. Begs more questions as to who the hell is this guy and what the hell does he do? Dad is the console, I'm telling you. He was the Famicom. He was the Nintendo. That's why the kid's called Ninten. <laughs> your dad that mean? character is the console he's the one who's like directing everything Nintendo's his child you're interacting with him he's saving the game for you yeah but why but because tron because tron's a thing that's why <laughs> the grid oh, okay? okay yeah 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 okay so so your dad got hit by a shiva laser yes. and was put inside the grid and that's why he ha he's never but he's never been able to like know how to explain it to his wife but he can only communicate through the phone line because they have a modem yeah something like that no I'm, i think literally <laughs> the character of dad is supposed to be representative of the console that you were playing the game on i've heard a lot of theories about ness and ninten's dad but never once have i heard the theory of he got troned <laughs> I don't mean he literally got troned. I I just I I literally think that in this weird impressionistic way, the character of Dad is you interfacing directly with the console that you're playing the game on. And that is deeply fascinating. <laughs> and very likely, it's one of the best theories I've heard as to like why, I don't know, but it certainly is extremely compelling and anthropomorphizes the 
system that you're playing the game on in a way that I'm pretty sure I've never seen or heard of before, if that's true. Like, why is the main character's name Ninten? Why in Earthbound is the main character's name Ness, like in NES, but with an extra S on the end for Super? They couldn't name the character SNES, so they just called him Ness. Undeniable that these characters' default names are references to the consoles they're on. Because their dad is the console. (laughs) I'm going to chill out and think about this for a while. Uh, So until next time, I'm Jess. I'm Kat. And that's all she wrote. Mother She Wrote is made possible thanks to the generous support of our Patreon producers. Becky Scott Fairley, Bob Hogan, CB, David Devereaux, Joe Tank Rassiardelli, Josh King, McDribble Deluxe, Mjolnir MK86, Patrick Webster, Sean Hutchinson, Sean T. Red, and our Super Deluxe executive Patreon producers, Big Bad Shadow Man, Marcus Larson, and Jamieson Lalone. You can join the team at patreon.com forward slash omniverse media. And if you think that Mother She Wrote is simply smashing, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And be sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast player. This series is recorded and produced in Orlando, Florida, and Lovell, Kentucky, on lands stolen from their indigenous people. The Tamuqua and Seminole, and Shawnee, Cherokee, Osage, Seneca Iroquois, Miami, Hopewell, and Adena. Acknowledgement of the first peoples of these lands and the lasting repercussions of colonization is just the beginning of the restorative work that is necessary. Through awareness, we can prompt allyship, action, and ultimately, decolonization. For links to aid indigenous efforts and to learn more about the First Nations of the land where you live, visit omniverse.media slash landback. Mother She Wrote is written, produced, and performed by me, Jessica Mudd. And me, Kat Flackard. Our original score is composed and performed by Jess, and this episode features additional voices by Danny. Special thanks to Kinesu for his invaluable work translating the Mother Encyclopedia. Find a link to his translation, other media we've referenced, and full episode transcripts at MotherSheWrote.Earth. Mother She Wrote is not affiliated with Nintendo, Shigesato Itoi, or any rights holders of the Mother and Earthbound intellectual properties. Please play the game's official Nintendo releases. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Hello, hello, I'm Malik. I'm Jamie. And this is World Gone Wrong, where we discuss the unprecedented times we're living through. Can your manager still schedule you for night shifts after that werewolf bit you? My ex-boyfriend was replaced by an alien body snatcher, but I think I like him better now. Who is this dude showing up in everyone's old pictures? My friend says the sewer alligators are reading maps now. When did the kudzu start making that humming sound? We are just your normal millennial roommates processing our feelings about a chaotic world in front of some microphones. World Gone Wrong, a new fiction podcast from Audacious Machine Creative, creators of Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery. Learn more at audaciousmachinecreative.com. Find World Gone Wrong in all the regular places you find podcasts. I love you so much. (laughs) I mean, you could like up the energy a little bit. You could up the energy. I actually don't take notes. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) That was good. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You sounded great. So did you. (laughs)